We welcome you to our Bible class. We encourage you to have your Bible open, Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. I'm Warren Berkeley with the Laurel Heights Church of Christ in McAllen, Texas. Because of the connection back to chapter 10, we will need to begin by referring to some of that, and we will do that through what we call our four fast facts. As we approach chapter 11, we need to bring up what we studied back in chapter 10, and I'm going to do that with four fast facts. The conversion of Cornelius is where the door opens to take the gospel to the Gentiles. The apostle Peter was the one God chose for this. Cornelius and others with him were baptized, and the Holy Spirit vividly demonstrated that this was approved of God. So that sets the stage for Acts chapter 11. And I'm going to start just with verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. Today, when we hear that people somewhere have heard the word of God, that they have obeyed it, that they are now Christians, we rejoice and thank God. It doesn't matter to us where they live or what their ethnic origin or bloodline is. We have read and heard many times what Jesus said, the gospel is for all. And so without prejudice or even knowing who the people are, we rejoice when we hear that people have become Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. Well, what we have to remember when we come to Acts 11 verse 1 is this hadn't happened before. Yes, it was plain in the prophecies that the old covenant would be finished. And as the new covenant came into existence, the new covenant would take in Gentiles, clear in prophecy. Jesus said the Gentiles would be accepted on the same terms as the Jews into his kingdom. Peter, in the sermon in Acts 2, said the gospel would be extended to those far off. Yet, Jews and Gentiles had long-term issues with each other. That long-standing division means that this change, the gospel for all, could become a problem. Not everybody was mature and on board with the mixing of Jew and Gentile in the church. For some, it took people time to digest all of that, to understand it. It was a change. So we are alert to that as we enter into chapter 11. It is not that the preaching to the Jews must stop, but that the preaching to the Gentiles must begin and continue. And the report of the acceptance by God of Cornelius and Gentiles had to be announced. It had to be made public, repeated over and over again, and teaching had to be done on this subject. So I'm going to go back now and start reading in Acts 11. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. 
So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. Here's what Peter said in his explanation. I'm at verse 5 in Acts 11. Peter said, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, Three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house, and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon who is called Peter. He will declare to you the message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them, as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now, there's an expression early in this reading, back around verse 3, I want to talk about, we need to identify a group of men here called the circumcision party. That sounds very strange to the modern ear. The Jewish nation practiced circumcision as a religious ritual that marked men as authentic Jewish men. They placed so much stress on this ritual, they became known as the circumcision party. As implied here, they were so thoroughly Jewish, so entrenched in the ways of Judaism, when they heard that Peter had visited a Gentile, they were upset. Now, don't confuse these men with the Jewish leaders who wanted to kill all Christians. Those men, like those who killed Stephen, were hostile toward all Christians. The circumcision party were Jews who had converted but could not part easily with their Jewish prejudices. They are mentioned again in Galatians as brethren who just could not accept the Gentiles as brethren. 
These are Jewish men who came into the church with baggage of prejudice. Here they are in their early appearance questioning Peter. The charge was you went into an uncircumcised man and you ate with him. Peter does a very good job responding. I believe that's because the Holy Spirit was crafting the response that Peter spoke. Jesus had said to the apostles, according to Matthew 10, 19, when they were brought before people to give answer, the Holy Spirit would give them their words. Peter just says, okay, folks, here's what happened. And Peter tells them what happened. As Peter gives this report, note carefully verse 12, and the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. Peter, in his report, arrives at this conclusion. Very important, this conclusion. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us <clears throat> when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I? that I could stand in God's way. Now, it is at this point I need to say, whether or not we call the event with Cornelius Holy Spirit baptism or not, here's what ought to be clear and was clear to many of those people back then. God intended for the gospel to be taken to the Gentiles. And the Holy Spirit did something extraordinary back in that day to signal to everybody this is God's plan. God approves of the gospel being taken to the Gentiles. This was so convincing, people with good hearts, verse 18 says, fell silent, glorified God. And the last phrase in verse 18 is critical. God is granted to the Gentiles repentance that leads to life. I would like to tell you that after Peter's report here, there were no more questions about the Gentiles. But I've already mentioned Galatians. The issue was not put to rest by Peter's report, unfortunately. The long-standing divide between Jew and Gentile should, <coughs> should have ended at the cross. But as I mentioned, there were Jews who came into the local churches with the baggage of prejudice and binding on Gentiles that which God had not bound. You with me? The church in Antioch. I'm going to read 19 to 30 next. Acts 11, 19 to 30. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenist also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God. He was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great 
many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Remember, we studied earlier, after Stephen's execution, back in chapter 7, there was a wave of intense persecution against Christians. Well, some Christians who were scattered came into Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, and some of these scattered Christians all the way to Cyprus and Cyrene, preaching the gospel to Jews in Antioch. I want to bring this up the fanning out of believers through persecution was certainly inconvenient for those believers. But as we discovered earlier, wherever Christians went, they took the word with them. So all this outward movement and dispersing God used through his people to affect the spread of the gospel to both Jew and Gentile. So there is at this point a local church in Antioch in Syria. The brethren in Jerusalem hear about this, and so they send Barnabas to Antioch. At this point, Luke gives us this marvelous narrative about this local church. Notice, the church at Antioch was composed of people who had obeyed the gospel. There was teaching to nourish these members they were exhorted to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, and they were benevolent according to each person's ability in responding to the needs of brethren living in Judea. In very simple terms at this point, a model church. I'll have something to say about Barnabas in my takeaways. That's Acts chapter 11. Takeaways. From the case of Cornelius in chapter 10 and Peter's report of it here in chapter 11, it is worth saying again, God's justice, God's fairness, God's attitude toward people is not determined by any external criteria, any morally neutral attribute such as appearance, race, nationality, body type, education, economic circumstance, whether someone has hair or not, or is tall or short. And if that is God's sense of justice and equity and fairness, it should be my sense and your sense. People may be very different from us, different from our culture, our language, our color, all of that. We must be as just and fair to those people as we are to people who are very much like us. God's fairness, justice, 
Equity is our perfect pattern in our treatment of people. There is an important phrase to mark in Acts 11, verse 12, making no distinction. Let's talk a little about that statement in verse 18, that to the Gentiles God had granted repentance that leads to life. Well, this is one way of saying that God now accepts the Gentiles. Through the gospel, God brings them to or grants to them repentance that leads to life. The gospel is about change, and God makes that change possible and beneficial to all people, all races, wherever they are, whatever they look like. Barnabas, here's a man who constitutes a very good example for us. And I would have you listen again to verses 22 to 26. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch disciples were first called Christians. Do you remember we met Barnabas before? All the way back in chapter 4, where he was referred to as son of encouragement, that's exactly what was needed in Antioch, encouragement. And here is a man perfectly suited to the task. Upon his arrival in Antioch, he goes to work exhorting those Christians to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. We need encouragers today like Barnabas. And this tells us we need to be exhorted to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. After baptism, the task at hand is faithfulness, spiritual growth with steadfast purpose. That marks out a goal for each of us to adopt. And this work of Barnabas also shows Christians need teaching and preaching. There is, after baptism, follow-up commitment to the Lord all your life, and that requires teaching and learning all your life. Much of what Paul said to Timothy and Titus had to do with teaching brethren. We often call that edification. Also, Saul could not have had a better friend than Barnabas. Saul of Tarsus, who became the apostle. We know there was suspicion surrounding Saul even after his conversion. In Barnabas, he found a true friend who endorsed Paul to the brethren. And it says here, he sought him and brought him to Antioch. It will be good for us to be like Barnabas. And it will be valuable for us to have friends like Barnabas. Note with me in verse 26, the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Through the New Testament writings, the Holy Spirit uses words that carry clear meaning about who we are. We are disciples. 
learners who follow their teacher. We are Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. We are God's children, soldiers in the Lord's army. We are brothers and sisters in a family. We are servants with a master. All these terms are designed to signal to us the kind of people we ought to be, the nature of our commitment. Spiritual identity is critical. These Christians responded to needy Christians. We have a record of that in verses 27 through 30. There is this example and several other passages in the New Testament indicating that when such circumstances came up, Christians responded to their needy brethren promptly and according to their ability. This is not about giving money to everybody who comes in. This is not about taking care of someone permanently so they don't have to work. This is not about building and funding a benevolent institution with all the complications of organizational structure and loss of oversight. No, this is simple. This is about Christians finding out that their brothers and sisters are suffering and then pulling their resources to the best of their ability to respond. It is not just something you put into a budget and forget about. It's heart-based generosity that acts based on need and ability. The church at Antioch was composed of people with that level of maturity and sensibility and sacrifice. That's Acts chapter 11. Thank you for viewing.